You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We are coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and today is July 20th, 2022. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe with the heat wave that's going around different parts of US and uh, even Europe. Uh, for for today's discussion, it's going to be me and then, but we have uh, a great uh, guest to talk about an interesting topic, which is clustered API. Uh, before we dive into today's topic and introduce our guest, uh, let's let's see what's happening in in the Kubernetes ecosystem, right? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A few news to discuss today. Uh, Grafana Labs, uh, people in the Kubernetes ecosystem or even outside are familiar with Grafana as a tool that they have been using for uh, monitoring and using its da the dashboard functionality. Uh, in, in, in the past couple of weeks, Grafana Labs has added Kubernetes monitoring support for Grafana Cloud. So now uh, all you need to do is if you want to leverage the dashboarding and monitoring functionality from Grafana, you need to install your Grafana agent on your Kubernetes cluster. And in minutes, the cube state metrics will be shipped to the Prometheus and Grafana Cloud instance. Uh, and from there, you have an out-of-box access to your Kubernetes infrastructure metrics, logs, and events, which are uh, uh, along with the pre-built dashboards that Grafana Cloud has for you. So monitoring your Kubernetes clusters and the apps that are running on top of it just got easier by leveraging uh, this Kubernetes monitoring capability from Grafana Cloud. In addition to this, a couple of uh, updates around open source projects. So KubeShop, which is an accelerator for open source startups, has acquired a, major a majority stake in a very popular Kubernetes uh, pro product or project called BotCube. So BotCube is an open source chat ops based product that's developed by a vendor called InfraCloud. Uh, and chat ops is basically uh, helping, or, or BotCube is basically helping customers monitor their Kubernetes cluster and then help them with interactive debugging. Uh, again, we'll have uh, uh, links in the show notes where you can learn more about what they do and if, you, if it's an interesting use case for you to try out in your Kubernetes clusters. And the third piece of news that we had was around Kyverno. And again, I know we have discussed Kyverno and how it's when it was added to the CNCF sandbox projects. Today, uh, we uh, the news that uh, came out that Kyverno has now been moved to the CNCF incubator uh, section. So uh, I, I really like Kyverno because uh, since it's open source, we have heard from a lot of customers that 
they already use it for enforcing security policies across their Kubernetes clusters. But the three features that I really like about Kyberno is uh, one is the ad admission controller webhook, which uh, basically because of this integration, any admission requests that come from the Kubernetes API server, uh, it, it, it monitors these and applies configuration best practices and policies uh, and even assigns certificates and, and web configurations. Next is Policy Reporter, which is a neat UI, a uh, graphical user interface for policy reports, uh, where you can just uh, look at all the different policies that exist and see how your cluster compares against those. And then they have a library of more than 180 ready-to-use policies uh, that include popular ecosystem tools and platforms. So Kyberno is now graduated to the uh, CNCF incubation phase, and then we'll obviously keep monitoring this project to see as it moves up. But that's it for the news this week. Uh, let me introduce my guest before we have Scott join uh, the, the podcast. Uh, Scott has been in the IT field for more than 25 years and currently works as the principal field engineer for Kong. Uh, if you have ever worked with VMware, I'm sure you have come across his blogs, books, podcasts, conference talks. Uh, I know I've personally read most, uh, like a lot of his blogs and I've uh, read the Mastering vSphere book as well. Uh, uh, Scott has been doing these, uh, like uh, I, I've been following Scott's blog for at least five years, learning more about software-defined networking, Kubernetes, and the topic for today, which is Cluster API. So uh, without much delay, let, let us get Scott on the podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Scott, and welcome to Kubernetes Bytes. It's great to have you on the show to talk about Cluster API. Uh, let's, let's start by uh, having you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and... Talk about what you do at Kong. Yeah, sure. So uh, thank you for uh, having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is uh, Scott Lowe. Um, I live in the uh, Denver, Colorado area. Um, so been here um, probably over a decade or so. Been in the IT industry for a while. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, to publish some books, wrote a couple of very popular books on vSphere back in the day. Um, working on, a, on another book now that we can talk about later if you want. Yeah. Um, been blogging for a very long time. A lot of people know my website, uh, blog.scotlow.org. Um, uh, I've had the opportunity to speak at a number of different conferences or user group meetings, that kind of thing. I um, always enjoy doing that and getting a chance to meet folks. And uh, I run my own podcast too. So I'm uh, part of the Packet Pushers Network of Podcasts. I run a podcast called the Full Stack Journey Podcast, which is all about helping people learn the um, let's see what's our catchphrase the chain the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers I think is the catchphrase so nice. anyway um, and as you mentioned I'm I'm currently working at Kong um, I'm a field engineer there which just means that I help customers with uh, product implementation focusing on service mesh um, I uh, like I said I'm, I've done a bunch of different things so I've done networking I help bootstrap the NSX business at VMware as part of the NICERA acquisition. I uh, worked with a lot of great people there, uh, left there, went to a small company called uh, Heptio, which then got reacquired by VMware. Uh, and then we helped bootstrap parts of the Tanzu business, mm -hmm. um, which was great. And so now I'm uh, 
onto another startup, um, this time working on uh, Service Mesh. So. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction. And like personally, uh, I have been following your blog and I think it was 2015 or 16 when you did the Charlotte UserCon keynote. So like uh, saw you there in person. That was great. And I've always liked the the uh, technology. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Uh, tech shots or something like that on, on your blog, right? Uh, uh, right, right. The technology short takes. Yes, short takes. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah, the short takes are always useful, and I've like gone and discovered other bloggers because of that. Uh, and uh, it's just like I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to get you on the podcast to talk about Cluster API. So uh, let's just talk about what is Cluster API and how did you you got, get started with it, right? Yeah, sure. So I, I think about Cluster API as um, the answer to the question: What if we were using Kubernetes? to manage the cluster lifecycle for Kubernetes, right? Um, you know, at, at the heart of Kubernetes, there's this core reconciliation loop, right? Which is responsible for evaluating the world as it is, i.e. the actual state, mm -hmm. and the world as the operator or the user wants it to be, which is the desired state. And it uses that core reconciliation loop for like everything that happens in Kubernetes. And so if you think about it, like, well, we could take that core reconciliation loop and we could apply that to the creation of other Kubernetes clusters. So we could say, okay, my desired state is that I want a cluster with three control plane nodes and three worker nodes running this version and then apply that, you know, give that to the reconciliation loop and say, okay, go make this happen. Mm -hmm. And at a very high level, that's essentially what cluster API does, right? Yeah. Um, there's a set of custom resource definitions and associated controllers that are responsible for managing the objects that are used by Cluster API. And as a user or as an operator, you define what you want the desired state of your new cluster to be. Uh, and it will go off and it will make that happen, right? Um, so it's, it's actually really cool. I first, started, uh, first got started using Cluster API um, at Heptio, this was mm -hmm. prior to the VMware acquisition and Heptio was doing a bunch of work in the cluster API space early on and that continued after um, the VMware acquisition. So I got involved early, was testing it, um, using it, providing feedback, um, that kind of thing. A little bit later on, I had the opportunity to do some documentation um, contributions to some of the cluster API docs and uh, primarily been focused on using cluster API on AWS. So most of my work is there. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah. That's no, it. Uh, Cluster API has been a cool project, right? I think I got introduced to it uh, when I was working with Google Cloud Anthos, and like when when it was officially launched, it only supported vSphere as the provider. So that's that's how they did things, right? Like they had their management cluster, and then using Cluster API uh, uh, for VMware or vSphere, and uh, deploying additional uh, VMs on top of your vSphere cluster, and uh, provisioning uh, uh, the actual workload cluster that Anthos has and connecting it back to their cloud control plane. So uh, Cluster API has been a cool project. And I think if I remember correctly, last late last year or maybe early this year, that's when they graduated and even released like the 1.0 version. So like even to get to 1.0, they had so many different uh, companies already using it internally and then having a mature project out in the ecosystem is great. Uh, so now my next question is like, okay, Cluster API is great. Like, how does it work? Like, how do all of these different things, The how do we uh, um, uh, append the functionality that Kubernetes already provides and provide this reconciliation loop for deploying and managing Kubernetes cluster itself? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So, so some of it we kind of touched on already, right? We're like, we have this idea of a custom resource definition or a CRD, which we know is, is the way that you extend the Kubernetes API to be aware of new kinds of things, right? And, uh, and then along with those custom resource definitions, there have to be associated controllers, which manage the reconciliation loop for that type of object, because mm -hmm. the life cycle for a pod might be very different than the life cycle for a cluster, for example, yeah. right? And so they kind of need to know um, the intricate details of that particular type of object. Um, what, one of the things that the cluster API um, sort of contributors and designers and architects, and I, I'm coming at this just, by the way, strictly as a user, like yeah. I'm, I am not a programmer. I'd love to be one day, but I'm not right now. But um, I had a lot of interactions with folks who were sort of, you know, leading this charge and kind of architecting it. One of the things they really thought about was, okay, how can we make this extensible? Like, how do we give you basic functionality that you can use, like right out of the box, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but how do we also make it extensible so that we aren't sort of locked into any one thing of way of doing things? And one of the things that I saw emerge, and this was, you know, sort of very early on when the APIs were like V1 alpha one. Um, so like the very initial release of the, of the APIs yeah. going from V1 alpha one to V1 alpha two, we saw them begin to like implement things that uh, help them maintain the separation. And so what they have now is this, the set of logical objects that sit at the core of cluster API. So we have things like a cluster, right. Or a machine or a machine deployment. Mm -hmm. um, and these uh, are, are logical objects. Like they just describe at a high level, you know, this is what I want this thing to be or to do, right? And then each of those things is then connected in some way to a, um, a an implementation-specific mirror of it, right? So I'll talk about the AWS version, but it's the same if you're, if you're looking at like vSphere or if you're looking at Azure or one of the others, right? So you have this machine and that machine is the high-level logical construct. And so whether you're running on AWS or Azure or vSphere, you're always going to have a machine, right? But underneath that machine, you'll have a provider, um, and we'll come back to the term provider in a moment, but an, an infrastructure or a platform-specific version. So you'll have like an AWS machine or a vSphere machine or an a Azure machine, right? And that begins to capture some of the implementation-specific details. Mm -hmm. Like on AWS, you know, what is the, what is the instance type? Um, are there specific... Um, uh, parts of the AMI, like the AMI selection, are we influencing the AMI selection in some way to to use a different AMI than than one it might choose by default? Yep. Um, what region or availability zone is it running in? Um, those sort of things, right? Because those details vary from from platform to platform. Um, then uh, you have um, so you have sort of this cluster API core. You have a, a set of infrastructure components, which we call providers. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that interact with the specific sort of platforms. We have a set of bootstrap um, pieces, bootstrap providers um, that allow us to change the way we bootstrap a node. So it's sort of the default, if you will, is to use a tool called kubeadm yeah. to bootstrap a Kubernetes node, right? And so the bootstrap controllers will write all the kubeadm code and then pass all that off and run kubeadm on the node to bring it into the cluster. Um, and then uh, as the APIs evolved, uh, we also saw the emergence of a control plane section where we actually manage the control plane as a separate entity, which allows us to say, oh, I want to describe the properties of the control plane. So I can say, I want the control plane to have one node and it'll mm -hmm. create a control plane with one node. Or I want a control plane to have three nodes and then it'll scale the control plane to three nodes, right? That part in and of itself is almost 
for people who have been in Kubernetes for a while, it's almost like magic, right? Like being able to scale that control plane from one node to three nodes sort of on the fly is like mind blown because if you did that in the past, there was all kinds of hoops you had to jump through and all kinds of things. Anyway, so you have these different components that come together and they all tie together. And, and what you end up with is this, this big, long YAML manifest mm -hmm. that describes everything. So it says, here's the cluster and here's the associated AWS cluster. And the AWS cluster says, here's all the infrastructure pieces that you have. And then, oh, I have a control plane with three nodes and there'll be a template for how the nodes are created. Oh, and I have a machine that, you know, looks like this and so on and so forth, right? Um, and and, and uh, all of these, again, are represented by custom resource definitions on what we call the management cluster, which is a, a, a Kubernetes cluster itself. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about the sort of like inception loop of like using a Kubernetes cluster to manage a Kubernetes cluster <laughs> in a moment, right? But at some point, um, you have to start that loop, yes. <laughs> right, right, right. We've got to start the loop. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but uh, all of these things exist as custom resource definitions on the management cluster, and that's where the controllers run. And so when you apply the YAML against the management cluster, it'll say, oh, I'm going to go create these objects. And then that's where it kicks in that reconciliation loop, and so it starts talking to the underlying cloud provider, um, whatever that is, like whether it's AWS mm -hmm. or Azure, or you know, talking to your vSphere um, uh, hardware or your, your vSphere presence, right? Um, all that kind of stuff. And then it just, it just it, you know, runs through that reconciliation loop until the actual state of having a cluster, as you described it, matches the desired state, which is, you know, what I described, right? Um, so it, it's, 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 it's actually really, really cool. Um, if, if I do say so myself, like the idea of being able to say, you know, I want, I want to just describe what I want the cluster to look like, and then it will go do that for you. I know. And I think... Like I really like Cluster API because I don't have to keep up with the manual instructions on how to do all of these things. Uh, I know I can build that YAML file which has all of these different sections and Cluster API will work with the individual providers and deploy these Kubernetes clusters for me. So uh, talking about providers, right? Uh, can we uh, talk more about like EKS Anywhere or Google Cloud Anthos or even for that matter, like VMware Tanzu Kubernetes Grid. I know all of these different distributions rely on Cluster API to provision the underlying infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, providers, again, they come in sort of a, a couple different flavors. There's there's the bootstrap providers. Um, the default one is KubeADM. But the mm -hmm. idea there is like if you needed to do your bootstrapping via some other mechanism, then you could put in a, an appropriate bootstrap provider there. So if you wanted to bootstrap the nodes using something other than KubeADM, it is sort of modular in that way. Yeah. We have the infrastructure providers, um, which again, are you're responsible for talking sort of down to the underlying cloud provider, whether it be AWS or Azure or vSphere or, or Google or whatever. And that's sort of where you see these, um, these distributions like EKS Anywhere and Anthos and others sort of step in. They're leveraging, um, in, in both these cases, the vSphere provider, yep. right, which allows them to then deploy, uh, you know, vSphere machines, which are the objects that you use. And those vSphere machines may, may come from uh, another... Uh, maybe created based on another cluster API object known as the vSphere machine template, mm -hmm. which sort of provides the, you know, well, the template yep. uh, for what a vSphere machine look like, right? And interacts with vCenter and all of the underlying infrastructure to create all of those things and then bootstrap them, right? Um, and uh, and then there is uh, there is a provider for the control plane as well, and it's called the kubeadm control plane. Um, theoretically, we could have other control plane providers in as well. I haven't seen any. I don't know if EKS anywhere or Anthos use a different control plane provider. Um, but again, the idea being that as long as you are 
speaking sort of the high level logical objects yep. that the core of customer API expects, then a provider can then take and, and implement sort of a, you know, a provider specific feature, right? Yep. Um, that allows them to extend cluster API in ways to either work on new platforms or others. And I, I hang out in the cluster API channel um, on the Kubernetes Slack, you know, pretty fair amount. And so I see in there, you know, people working on cluster API providers for like Oracle cloud infrastructure, for example, um, and, and others. So it's, 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 I think that's one of the real values of the sort of the very pluggable and very modular yep. approach that the maintainers took is that it does allow us to plug in these other pieces and, you know, extend the functionality of the, of the core project. Yeah. And it's great, right? Because let's say I got started with using cluster API on-prem on a vSphere cluster. I don't need to understand how my AWS EC2 instances should be deployed. I can just leverage a different provider and cluster API will do that thing for me. So uh, it, it adds that scalability component and while reducing the amount of learning or relearning that has to happen uh, just because I, I want to deploy Kubernetes against a different infrastructure platform. Uh, I want to go back to the how do we start the loop question, like how do we, like what's the first step? And then let, let's say how we can uh, ha kick that reconciliation loop into action. Yeah, yeah, sure. So typically what happens is you, 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 you have to start out with a cluster because we need the Kubernetes APIs and that reconciliation loop to then create the other clusters. And that first cluster um, is, is typically referred to as your management cluster. Yep. Now, how you get that management cluster, it can be done a variety of ways, right? So a really common way is to use something called Kind, Kubernetes in Docker. Yep. Uh, and what you'll do is you'll create a local Kind cluster. You will initialize that local, that local Kind cluster as a management cluster. And this just means installing the, the cluster API um, CRDs and controllers into that Kind cluster. And then you will create the first, what we call the workload cluster. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then it will go create that workload cluster on whatever platform you are. So, you know, here you are, you're sitting on your Mac, you've got Docker desktop installed or some equivalent. You run kind, it creates a local Kubernetes cluster. You install cluster API into that and you, you give it a manifest to say, go create a cluster on AWS. And so it yep. goes and it creates a cluster on AWS. So you've got your kind cluster and now you've got this cluster on AWS. Well, we don't want to keep this kind cluster around forever, right? So we then will move the cluster API resources from that kind cluster up to that first cluster you created on AWS, right? And there's a command um, to do this that the cluster API um, community provides, right? Then once you've got all the components sort of moved up to that cluster, that one is now your management cluster. That's where the cluster API controllers mm -hmm. and CRDs and all that reside. You can then decommission the kind cluster, you know, okay, go away, right? And, and then work strictly against that 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 long lived management cluster that's sitting AWS. And then from there you can apply manifest to create other clusters, you know, as needed. Right. Um, that's one way of doing it. Um, mm -hmm. You could also, and, and this is actually what I do in my lab environments um, is you could also create infrastructure on the cloud provider of your choice. Right. So I use a tool called Plumi. Mm -hmm. um, I go out and I, uh, I instantiate all my AWS infrastructure, including uh, some EC2 nodes. And then I will manually bootstrap those nodes using kubeadm. Um, so I say, I say manually, kubeadm is not all that manual, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's not like I'm, you know, writing system D files, but I'll use kubeadm. I'll, you know, intentionally invoke kubeadm myself to bootstrap those nodes into a, into a Kubernetes cluster mm -hmm. and then make that the management cluster. So you could also do that. Um, right. You know, there's a couple of different ways, but uh, you can take sort of the easy path and using kind and uh, cluster CTL or cluster cuddle or cluster control, whatever term you want to use, right? 
to do all of that, or you could go bootstrap it and then initialize it. Either one works. And then once you've got that initial management cluster up, then you can, uh, you know, begin to spawn other yep. clusters and, and go from there. Yeah, and I think uh, whenever I talk to people about cluster API, the transition from kind to the management cluster is always that like blows their mind because they're like, how do we even get that first cluster up and then having something like kind and then the ability to spin up something local and then the ability to transfer your all of the custom resources and the roles over to the ma actual management cluster is great. Uh, Okay, so like that's a great foundation for what Clustered API is and how it works with providers and helps you provision Kubernetes cluster, right? Uh, I was catching up on uh, talks from KubeCon and they were talking about a few new newer things and one of the things that caught my eye was uh, 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 the definition of a cluster class. Can you talk more about like what a cluster class is and how it helps organizations scale? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll preface all this by saying I, I have, I've kind of held off on the cluster class stuff um, so far because I was giving it time to mature. Um, uh, but uh, mm -hmm. the idea behind a cluster class, as I understand it at least, is if you look at a, if you look at a cluster API manifest, um, sort of the full manifest that's generated when you do, you know, a cluster CTL generate cluster or whatever mechanism you use, right? Um, there's a lot of like repetition as you go through there, mm -hmm. right? So you'll say, oh, okay, um, I'm going to have, a, let's say, a machine deployment, right? A machine deployment is like a, a deployment, you know, for pods, but it's for machines. You you give the deployment, you say, hey, I want three machines, and it goes and manages and makes sure there's always three machines, right? Um, and those machine deployments will reference, uh, you know, a machine template. They'll reference a kubeadm config template, and and you'll just see this stuff keep getting repeated over and over again as you as you move through there, right? So the idea of a cluster class is that you can kind of like move all this stuff up to a higher level abstraction to say, here's the class of things that I want to look for. And then you just reference that cluster class in your, your cluster manifest, right? Which allows you to kind of reduce the amount of boilerplate um, uh, text or configuration mm -hmm. that's found in the manifest for a particular cluster. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, there's other ways to go about doing it as well. Um, they, they aren't quite as elegant, I guess you could say, right? Um, but one of the things that I've been doing for quite a while is I've actually been using um, Customize, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the Kubernetes tool for sort of like declaratively modifying um, manifests. Yep. I've actually been using Customize with Cluster API manifests to build uh, all the Cluster API manifests for the clusters that I um, end up generating. So I, I leveraged a piece out of Customize, a relatively new piece out of Customize called Components, mm -hmm. and then... Um, building uh, an actual workload cluster then is just a matter of like writing a customized file that says here's the base and here are the components that I want added like I want to use this version of Kubernetes in this AWS region with this instance type um, using you know this thing and those are all customized components and then I just do a customized build pipe it to kubectl boom done right and, um, and it just makes it super easy for me to sort of mix and match components based on what it is I'm trying to do um, so that's another way you could do it. It's, again, it's not quite as elegant, perhaps, as a cluster class, but, gotcha. um, you know. Yeah, like personally, I didn't know like Customize and Cluster API work together to deliver such a solution. So that's something that I have to check out as well. So thank you for sharing that uh, today. Uh, I think yeah, there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a, of a, of an extra piece. So there's a couple of blog posts um, that um, I can, I can give you um, to include in the show notes yep. that uh, talk about how to, 
um, this is kind of weird, how to customize, customize, um, one with a C, one with a K, okay. um, <laughs> how you can kind of make it aware of cluster API, right? Yep. So that it knows the links between the objects and where fields are found. And it knows how to rename things appropriately and sort of do that. But once you do that, you can use customize completely sort of natively, if you will, with, with a cluster API manifest. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, uh, I really like sort of the workflow. It's, it's, it's super handy. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Like we'll include that in the show notes so people can check it out. Uh, another new thing that I found around the cluster API project is the concept of machine pools and machine health checks. Uh, how are machine pools different from what you mentioned earlier around machine deployments? And can we talk about that? Yeah. Well, let's talk about machine health checks real quick. They've, they've been in the product for quite a while, um, in the project for quite a while. And the idea behind a machine health check is just like a health check that you would define for, you know, like a pod, right? Yeah. Um, in that we want to make sure that the machine and the machine um, is linked up to an actual Kubernetes node in the cluster. So you have a Kubernetes node in the cluster, which points to a machine, which points to an infrastructure variant, right? AWS machine or vSphere machine or whatever. Um, and, that re and that infrastructure variant represents the actual infrastructure that was provisioned on whatever platform. Uh, so the machine health check is just a way of saying, hey, I want to ensure that machines are up and responding. And if they aren't, then I want to mark them as unhealthy so mm -hmm. that in conjunction with a machine deployment, um, then I can decommission a machine and spin up a new one to replace it, right? Okay. It sort of removes, it removes some of that human toil of like, oh, this machine's down, let me delete it, let me recreate it, blah, 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 right? Um, so, so with yeah. machine health checks, right? You said it's similar to the, the readiness and liveness probe that we have from our pod level. So this this translates to like the liveness probe. Is there anything that that is that matches like the readiness probe as well? Like how do we know a machine is ready to be entered into the cluster? Uh, so that's just handled actually as part of the normal uh, like node bootstrapping process, right? Okay. The node will, the kubelet on the node will will respond with a status of saying it's ready um, or it's not ready. And you can actually see that when you do like a kubectl get nodes and you'll see status is ready. Yep. That's sort of the readiness check, right? So like really um, the machine health check is more of an ongoing, um, you know, are you operating, yep. operating more like a liveness check, right? Yes. Uh, are you operating? Are you live? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? If you aren't, then you know I'm gonna I'm gonna mark you as unhealthy, and then it'll kick it back to the machine deployment controller for mm -hmm. remediation, which typically means delete and recreate a new one. Yep. Um, the difference, by the way, between machine uh, like a machine deployment, as I mentioned earlier, sort of the machine equivalent for a deployment for pods, right? Machine pools, on the other hand, um, if you think about it, like machine deployment says, I want three machines, right, and then uh, it will go create three machines, which will then create three, you know, infrastructure variants, right? But if we think about it, a lot of these cloud providers already have mechanisms for running groups of compute capacity. Mm -hmm. So on AWS, we have like an auto scaling group, yep. right? And we go define the properties for the auto scaling group. And then the platform manages making sure that they exist and all that, right? And that's the distinction between a machine pool and machine deployment. In a machine pool, we're leveraging... Um, provider specific functionality. So we're leveraging like on AWS an auto scaling group yep. or the equivalent, I think it's called a virtual machine set on Azure, I believe is what it's called or virtual machine scaling set, something like that. I think scaling set, yes. Yeah, probably that's what it is. Thank yeah. you. Um, so we're leveraging that cloud provider functionality uh, to manage a group of machines instead of saying as a as a the management cluster itself, I will manage the machines, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, I, I'm going to tell the provider to manage machines 
and give the provider all the detail it needs rather than manage your machines directly. And that's, that's the key difference between machine deployment and machine pool. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so like thinking about scaling, right? That brings me to my next question, actually. Like, since this is the, focusing on the reconciliation loop, I can edit, I'm assuming I can edit the YAML file, increase the number of nodes and cluster API will automatically scale my cluster for me. But is there a way to use cluster API for setting some auto-scaling rules? Like if I'm running out of capacity, can cluster API help me there? Well, so for that, you're going to have to rely on the existing cluster auto-scaler functionality, mm -hmm. um, which will integrate with cluster API. Um, I'll be honest, I think the, the, the relationship between cluster API and cluster auto-scaler is a little weird because you've got this reconciliation loop yeah. Right. But then you've got the cluster auto scaler, which is sort of like automatically scaling things. And so you're like, mm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's it's I mean, this is the way it works right now. Yeah. So until as a community, we we come up with a more elegant um, solution. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. One of the one of the big benefits is that you can simply modify the desired state, i.e. the YAML. Right. Which ideally you'd keep in some sort of source of truth, like a Git repository or something like that, and then use a. Um, you know, a controller GitOps uh, type workflow to then apply that to your actual infrastructure. Uh, and it will then go and scale, you know, machine deployments for you from, you know, one uh, machine to five, or mm -hmm. it'll add a new machine deployment for you, uh, that kind of thing, right? Um, you might end up with multiple machine deployments, for example, um, if you wanted to distribute your Kubernetes cluster across different failure domains. So let's say on AWS, you want to have some workers um, in you know, different availability zones, right? Yep. Well, a machine deployment can only deploy identical machines and the failure domain is part of that spec. So it can't distribute across zones. If you want to distribute across zones, you use multiple machine deployments, okay. right? And then you specify the failure domain as part of the machine deployment. Um, and then all the machines within the machine deployment are identical. They all fall in that zone. The, the control plane then knows, like from a Kubernetes perspective, it just sees nodes. Yep. It knows about that topology stuff because of annotations and labels on the nodes, of course. But... Um, the details are being managed by cluster API. Gotcha. And this is great, right? Like I can I can have different machine deployments for different types of instances as well. Absolutely. Can, can this help me? Like if I want to use like reserved instances for majority of my worker nodes, but then I want to leverage something like AWS spot instances, right? For that on-demand capacity component, can I have that as part of my machine deployment, a second machine deployment, and then just update that parameter whenever I need more capacity? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you can. I haven't done a lot of work with spot instances in clusters. Um, just I haven't had yep. a use case to, to, to sort of drive that functionality, right? Um, but I know that the AWS community has worked really hard on a, building the mechanisms necessary to allow people to use spot instances because they can be more cost effective. Yep. Right? Um, so, yeah. Okay. No, and like this has been a great discussion, right? Uh, I do want to like wrap, up, wrap it up, but uh, what, next question I had was around like, how do people learn more about Cluster API, right? Like they, they, this is the first time they're hearing about such a project, which is, I think, difficult if, you're, if you have been following the Kubernetes ecosystem. But if this is the first step, like what's the next step? Like how can we learn more? 
Yeah. Um, so I actually think that the Cluster API website, um, and uh, you know, you can include a link to that in, mm -hmm. in the show notes and stuff, but it's basically cluster-api.sigs for special interest groups dot kates.io um, is, is a really great source of information. I know that the contributors for the project have worked really hard on the documentation. And as I mentioned earlier, I've been fortunate enough to be able to make a few contributions to documentation um, there as well, based on my own work. Um, but they, they'll give you a quick start guide, sort of like on the different cloud providers. Oh, you mm -hmm. want to get a quick start on AWS, want to get a quick start on Azure, um, whatever. They'll walk you through what's required, what are the commands you need to run, what information you need to have. Um, and then, and then you know, you can actually just spin up or, you know, you can use Kind, as we mentioned earlier, to create what I call the bootstrap cluster, right? To create your first management cluster and then go from there. Um, and, and, and then, uh, you know, you mentioned you were watching Cluster API presentations from KubeCon. So there's, yep. there's been a number of those as well that have been really great. But I think for a new user just getting started, I would probably start with the website and the quick start guide. Um, I would tell folks, um, I always like to kind of talk about you know, learning paths, because I do this in my own podcast as well. But yeah. um, make sure you're familiar with sort of Kubernetes basics first. Like if you aren't familiar with Kubernetes already, make sure you take some time to become familiar with Kubernetes, right? Um, and there's lots of resources out there for that. And then once you're familiar with sort of that that core, sort of how Kubernetes operates, then you can begin to expand into cluster API, right? Um, oh, I'll also mention too that, um, you know, I, I mentioned that I used to be in the Tanzu group at VMware. While yep. we were there, we we bootstrapped this site called Cube Academy, which has a bunch of video lessons. And there's some video lessons there for folks, you know, if you're getting started with Kubernetes or if you're getting started with Cluster API. Yeah, and there, so. it's a fantastic resource, right? We had an intern join our team uh, this year uh, for the summer and uh, he wanted like that Kubernetes 101 uh, content. I was like, just go and create a free account on VMware uh, Cube Academy and that's that's the place to start with the basics. So thank you for, for, for reminding us of that great resource. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And so that's how people can start with uh, Cluster API. How can people find out more about what you are doing? What are you up to? And I know you already have uh, spoken about your podcast, but any anything that you want, you might want to plug. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, you know, I, I as as we've talked about earlier, I do a, a fair amount of blogging. So you can visit me at blog.scottlow.org, um, uh, and I've, I've got some Cluster API content there as well. Various things that I've written uh, about Cluster API as the project has evolved over time. Um, so there's some stuff there if you want to get started with Cluster API. Um, if you want to, you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So if you want to hit me up on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is at Scott underscore low. Um, and, uh, you know, I try to keep, you know, content, you know, appropriate there for, you know, mainly technical uh, stuff. Um, and, uh, and then uh, I'm, I'm present in a number of different Slack communities mm -hmm. uh, pursuant to sort of this discussion. You can find me on the Kubernetes Slack. I hang out in the... Cluster API, Cluster API, AWS, and a few other channels. Um, so you could just you know find me and, and DM me if you you were interested in. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott, for joining us today. Like I, I was so glad that you accepted and were able to join. Uh, thank you so much for the discussion and all your expertise in Cluster API. Uh, we look forward to like inviting you back again if I find another topic that works. Yeah, sure. I, I enjoyed being on and I'd be happy to, to come back and uh, talk again sometime in the future. So thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you so much, Scott. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so that was a great discussion with Scott. Hopefully, you guys learned a lot about Cluster API, what the project is about, and how it can help organizations that still want to deploy Kubernetes clusters, uh, but they still want that flexibility in terms of the underlying infrastructure. So just to recap and uh, talk about key takeaways, right? Cluster API is the answer to the question, what if we used Kubernetes to bootstrap Kubernetes? And we spoke about how uh, you can have your kind clusters uh, on your local machine or local workstation and then have that spin up a management cluster and then eventually spin up a workload cluster where you can deploy your applications. And we also spoke about the custom resources and the different providers that exist today, right? So you have your a, a different provider for vSphere, which is what uh, AWS leverages for EKS anywhere on virtual machines or Google Cloud Anthos or VMware Tanzu Kubernetes grid leverages for deploying those virtual machines or Kubernetes worker nodes and bootstrapping that cluster. Uh, we also spoke about how uh, customers can use these providers, but uh, but uh, also the fact that there are uh, innovation or, or there are there have been new features like cluster class and machine pools that help organizations scale and use Cluster API as that resource to deploy and manage and operate Kubernetes clusters at scale. Uh, for learning more about it, we'll obviously share the links that Scott has in our show notes. Uh, so uh, that that's that's it for this podcast. Uh, thank you for watching. Again, uh, we only have one ask for you. Uh, if you like this podcast, give us a review. Uh, reach out to us if you like to see us cover more topics uh, and please share it with your friends. Like it helps us grow our audience, which again, for our existing listeners, you have been doing a great job at sharing our podcast, but again, share it more, uh, bring more people into this community so we can, we can talk and, and educate around everyone around Kubernetes and stateful applications and basically anything around Kubernetes. With that, uh, that brings us to the end of this, uh, of today's episode. Uh, I'm Bhavin, and thank you for joining another episode of the Kubernetes Bites. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bites podcast.